Well, church, I, I'm going to open with a more of like an observation from the farm. So here's an observation. So you know that calf that I talked about last week, that big, huge monster of a calf? Well, we had to give that calf some milk because um, it just, it almost wasn't strong enough to get up and nurse its mom. And so we were able to give that calf some milk. And so, you know, you go to all the work, you get a bottle. Uh, and you go to that calf and you go up to it. And one thing you learn is that that calf has to have a desire, a will to live. And some of you who have had uh, calves know that you have some calves and you go there and you have the bottle, you have the exact nutrients that it needs and you'll get down there and you'll get that calf and you're doing everything you can to keep that calf alive but it just seems not to have a will to live. And you, you can get frustrated at the calf. Um, you can be sad for the calf. But ultimately, there is nothing that you can do to change the will to live in that calf. Now, the, that big old monster calf, praise God, she is alive and well. So she is good. She has had a will to live. But we had a calf last year that just did not seem like it had a will to live. It ended up, I don't know if it, I don't know what ended up happening to it. We, we ended up selling off our whole herd. But my point is this, is that some new Christians are like that little baby calf. And, you know, you, you want to make sure that they have milk from God's word, which is going to make them stronger which eventually is going to give them the opportunity to, to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But we have to have a desire for God's Word. And so I just want to encourage you all who have maybe young kids or maybe someone, a neighbor that you're sharing the gospel with, and they just haven't come around like you would hope. And be patient with them like you would that little calf. But ultimately understand they have to have a desire to live. They have to have a desire for God's word. And so what you could do, just being an encouragement to you, is pray for that neighbor. Lord, help them to want to learn God's word. Because, man, it could be really sad sometimes where you're going and doing everything you can for a child or a neighbor or an aunt and an uncle, and you want them to desire the milk of God's word, but yet they continue to turn it down. So just want to encourage you, don't give up. Keep, keep praying for them. But... Um, it's just a little observation I saw with these different calves. If you have your Bibles, open to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 18 for a message entitled, Elders and Oxen. Let me read this passage, but first, let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. You're patient and you're kind. Father, now as we seek to devour to eat your word we just pray that we would be able to understand it apply it to our lives father help us to be convinced that what is said is true and so lord bless our time help us to understand this just be with us lord in all things we ask it in jesus name amen 
Elders and oxen, 1 Timothy 5, 17. So just remember, this is Paul who's writing to Timothy. Timothy is a leader at the church at Ephesus. And so a lot of this uh, book is geared towards how elders uh, and deacons should um, act and qualifications in the church. And so we saw last week how the church is supposed to serve and love widows how we as individual Christians are supposed to serve and love widows. And so now Paul has shifted with his instruction from widows back to elders, back to elders. So here we go. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. So, let's break down verse 17. Let the elders who rule. Let the elders who rule. So, we want to focus on that word rule, okay? So, breaking down that word rule, what it means is to be over, maintain, or to rule. Be over, maintain, or to rule. Now, in God's Word, what we want to do is we want to look at other passages in the Bible to help us understand the overall context of that particular word. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few other words, or I mean a few other passages that use that same word, that use that same word. So if you have your Bible, you can hold your place in 1 Timothy and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. So what we're trying to do here is establish what exactly it means... When the Bible says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of devil honor. So if, they're, if we're supposed to consider them being worthy of devil honor, we want to know what that word rule means. Okay, so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13, it says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So this is from the ESV, the English Standard Version. If um, you look at that word in verse 12, the word over, that word over is the same word used in 1 Timothy 5.17, rule. Okay? So here's the point. The same word in 1 Timothy for rule is the same word in 1 Thessalonians translating over, over, where it says you and are over you in the Lord. Okay, now look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. So there was qualifications for elders in the church. Just to remind you, if you weren't with us on the study on elders, elder, pastor, pastor, overseer, shepherd, that is all the same office, all the same office. So I am a elder, I am a pastor. 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5 says this, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So the word rule in 1 Timothy 5, 17 is the same word translated manage in 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5. So the reason why it is very crucial that a pastor manage his own household is because that is part of his job description 
in regards to the church. So the word manage is the same word used in 1 Thessalonians for over, and it's the same word rule in 1 Timothy 5.17. So we've got that same word could be translated manage, over, or rule. Look at Romans chapter 12, 3 through 8. Romans chapter 12, 3 through 8 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think of him so, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service, if service are serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads, that's that same word, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So that same word, rule, is now translated here, leads. Here, leads. So elders are to rule, lead, manage, be over the church. This is why one of the qualifications for becoming an elder is that he should manage his own household well, which is we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So the reason why this is so important is because we have to know how the church should be organized according to God's word. We don't want to use a pragmatic approach. There is one approach that uh, a church uses called the Moses model. And the way that the Moses model works is that the pastor is in absolute charge of everything, and nobody else is in charge of anything. He is the king. He makes all the rules. There's a, he is the one in charge of everything, not the congregation, not the associate pastors, but him. And the way that this uh, particular group of churches, the way that they explain that is they look in the Old Testament and they see Moses. God chose Moses. He used him and... Uh, So they say, well, that's how we're going to set up our church, the Moses model. Well, the problem is, is that you only see that in the Old Testament. You don't see that in the New Testament. So I do not think that is a biblical model. And here's what we want to do. We want to strive for what we see in Scripture. We want to strive for the biblical model because it's God's design. It's God's design. So we see this, that God is calling elders to... Rule, lead, manage, be over the church. It says, let the elders who rule well. Well, we have to figure out what in the world that means. Uh, Elder who rules well, that could be kind of subjective. But turn to Luke chapter 12, verses 42 through 48. I want to read a story about a manager, about a manager, to kind of help us to understand Ruling well and not ruling well. Let me read you this story. He then, this is Jesus talking about managers. Who then is the faithful and wise manager? That word manager is steward. Whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. So 
it's talking about this, that the master is going to choose a steward to give the food out at the proper time. Verse 43, blessed is that servant, that servant, that word is actually, should be translated slave. Blessed is that slave whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and to drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So looking at this principle or the principles of that story and applying them to elders in the church encourages an elder to manage well. So when an elder reads that and says, wait a minute, that's kind of like, uh, like me, is that God has chosen me, put me to manage his household, and if I don't do it well, well, you see what happened to that slave when he did not do well in that story. And th- listen, that was Jesus explaining. And so the elder should be very fearful more fearful of God than man, knowing that the master could return at any time and judge his work. Now, just to encourage anyone to say, wait a minute, I don't like that idea of the pastor supposed to rule well or to manage or to be over. Well, let me encourage you with this. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And here's the point. Not domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So the Bible commands that an elder is not to be a domineering person in the church. He is an under-shepherd under the great shepherd, but he is held accountable on feeding the sheep. So an elder is not to be domineering. Now, I want to go a little bit deeper on this idea that the elder is a slave. The elder is a slave. See, Paul called himself a slave. Romans 1.1 1, 1 said this, Paul, a servant, which is translated slave, Paul, a slave of Christ, Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So here's Paul saying, this is the apostle Paul, the one who God used to write so much scripture. The Bible says this, that he is a slave of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, we're actually just looking at verse 1. It says this, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So Peter's saying this, yes, he is an apostle, but he is also an elder. And here's what he says about himself. 
In Second Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Simeon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. So here's the point. Elders always need to remember they are slaves and that Jesus is the one ultimately in charge. Let me say that again. Jesus is the one ultimately in charge. And so there is something inside of us when God sets up a structure where we don't like it. I know this, Coach, Coach Rulo, I had a problem, a real tough time with some of my coaches. I had a real tough time with some of my coaches. And some of my coaches had to remind me that they were the ones that were ruling the team, managing the team. And so I got to ride some bench for a little while. We have to remember that God is in charge of His church. Look at 1 Timothy 5.17, focusing on that word honor, honor. So in the full context, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So the question is, what in the world is honor? And we got to figure out what the word honor means because it says the elder who rules well should be considered worthy of double honor. So let's break down that word honor by looking at other passages using that same Greek word, but translating it a little bit differently or the same. Let's first look at the same. Look at John chapter 4, verses 44. Because when I say the word honor, most of us think respect. So does that mean that you guys are supposed to doubly respect the elder who rules well? Or does it mean something different? Well, let's look at the word used in John 4, verses 44. It says, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. A prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Now, here's the point. The word honor translated in this passage is the way that we think of honor. Honor, the dictionary says, is high respect and great esteem. High respect, great esteem. Let's look at the word translated differently, Matthew 27, verse 36. So same Greek word, but translated differently. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. The word money is the same Greek word translated honor. So that should start to help us. If we're supposed to give double honor to, ruler, to elders who rule well, one is honor as in esteem and respect. The other one is honor as in money. 
So in this passage, honor is translated money. But let's go on. Look at Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Let's look at how it is translated here. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with the wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. That's the same word for honor in 1 Timothy 5. And brought only a part of it and laid it at his feet. So in this passage, that word honor that we see in 1 Timothy 5 is translated proceed. So here's the overall point. Honor can be translated honor as we think about it, money or proceeds. So now let's look at the word double, double honor. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So we saw in Scripture how the, the elder that rules well should be esteemed and respected, also should be paid. Now, here's the thing. This church already does this. So... It's In essence, I'm already speaking to the choir, and the way that I saw that this church treated its last pastor and the way it treats me, they do amazing at honoring when it comes to pay. So it's not like uh, I'm trying to be self-serving. It's just in the text. And so if you ever needed a reason of why the pastor gets paid and you never you just thought it's a tradition, well, it's actually not just a tradition. It's based off of Scripture. And so just know that it, this... This, this church has already done this, and I assume that since 1903, this church has done a good job with that. So, you know, don't, don't squirm in your seat like, man, well, I thought we already do a good job in that. Yes, you do. It's just in the text. We're in 1 Timothy, and we're preaching through 1 Timothy. So, let's look at that word devil, devil, worthy of devil honor. Well, here's the thing. God has given the church teachers. Now, as a pastor, I also want to look at these other teachers and find out exactly what they think devil means. Because it's hard to see exactly what it is. So I'm going to read to you three quotes by three other men explaining what they think this word devil means. So first, quote, If pastors are faithful in feeding and leading the people, then the church ought to be faithful and pay them adequately. Quote, Double honor can be translated generous pay. The word honor is used as honorarium. It is God's plan that the needs of his servants be met by their local churches. That's from Warren Wearsby. The next is, quote, As a pastor, it is tempting to interpret double honor to mean double pay. But actually, it means twofold honor. Honor shown in two ways. One, respect, and two, remuneration. Just so you know, breaking down that word remuneration, the dictionary says that's money paid for a work or a service. So what this guy is saying is that double honor is respect and remuneration. And then third, quote, while all elders are to be thus honored, Paul singles out some as being worthy of double honor. He differentiates between the general category of elders and those who serve with greater commitment, effort, and excellence. 
They are worthy of greater acknowledgement from the congregation they serve. Paul is not here saying they should receive exactly twice the pay a normal elder receives. Rather, they should receive ample, generous remuneration and respect beyond that of others whose labors are not as diligent. That's from John MacArthur. So, just to recap, the word honor in Scripture can mean esteem or respect, or it could mean getting remuneration or money for your labor, for your labor. So, thinking about uh, our offering, the way that, that this church works is that God puts it on your heart to give to God's work, and then some of that money goes to me so I can continue labor in Scripture and come and then bring it to you. Just as if you hired a physical laborer to come to your house to do work, you would pay that person. The same thing is happening to me is that you guys are asking me, saying, Rusty, here's what we want you to do. We want you to go, spend time with the Lord, pray for us, and study God's word, and then come here and proclaim it to us accurately, and we want you to do it well. We want you to work hard at it. And so as you think, you know what, I want to be a part of that, you give your money to the Lord, and the Lord takes a portion of it and gives it to me so that I can focus on this full time. As we're still going through 1 Timothy 5.17, so again, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor, labor in preaching and teaching. So we want to look at that word labor. What does that mean? Well, the word definition labor, breaking that down in the lexicon, says to toil or to work with effort. To toil or to work with effort of bodily and mental labor alike. So when I say the word toil or labor, that could be physical labor or that could be mental labor. And I know some of you, you make your living off of mental labor. You drive into Jeff, you go into an office, you sit down, and you are paid because you are going to mentally labor to do a job. Some of you are paid by your physical labor. You actually go out and physically work and do something. And it's funny to hear the back and forth between those who are in the physical world of labor and those who are in the mental world of labor. I'll tell you a story. Uh, my dad, um, back in the day, he owned an insurance agency, and he had some staff. They were going through a lot of mental labor. There was a particular business, and this particular business had a lot of stuff going on, and so the staff was just mentally working hard, toiling over this insurance account. And it started to really weigh heavily on one particular staff member. And my dad tells the story. He knew that she was at her tipping point of um, breaking when she was driving her car. So in Bakersfield, there's a lot of farming and there's a lot of farm workers. She was driving her car to this business. She looked out and she saw migrant farm workers and thought, if I could only just join them. 
She would rather have been out there in the fields physically working than mentally toiling of what she was doing. And so the point is this, is the pastor is not supposed to be lazy, playing golf all the time. He's supposed to be in God's word, toiling, and then bringing you the word. That's how it works. Just so you know, the definition for toil is work extremely hard or incessantly. And as we finish, worship team, come on up. So let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So what we're going to do is we'll leave it there because we don't have enough time to get into what preaching is and what teaching is. But just so you see this, it says um, ruling well and those who preach and teach. Some look at this and they think, oh, wait a minute, there's certain elders who are called to rule, oversee, manage the church, and there's another group of elders who are called to preach and to teach. Um, I think... What happens in a church is that there's a gift set that some people are, have more than others. Some elders are going to be great at managing. And there's some elders that are going to be great at preaching and teaching. And I think they'll naturally gravitate towards their strengths. It doesn't mean that they don't cross each other. But it does mean there is a focus on some of the elders of preaching and teaching. And some of them managing God's church. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. Lord, as we see the details of how you want your church organized and set up, we just ask that we would all submit to your scripture and that you would guide us in everything that we do. Lord, let us not look to tradition or to preference, but let us look to your word on how we organize our lives and how we organize as a body of believers. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone here, they don't know what we're talking about because they don't know Christ. But for some reason, you drew them here. Lord, I pray that they would be convinced that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and that he rose again on the third day and that putting their faith in the atoning death of Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins and crying out for forgiveness, Lord, that you will save. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would save them. You would set them apart. You would make them born again into your kingdom, into your family. And Father, if there's anyone else here that's just hurting or needs healing, Lord, I pray that you would draw near to them, for you are the great physician. Father, be with us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.